Good morning. Welcome to Laurel Heights. We invite your attention to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 and in chapter 14. I'll explain that in just a moment. Every time we come to this place, our intention is to help everyone who is present. We believe that we have in this book that we open exactly and perfectly the help we need from the Creator to be godly, Christ-like people. And so sermons and classes at Laurel Heights are based on the Word of God. This year, on selected Sunday mornings, we are on a journey through 1 Corinthians. And today we arrive at this location in chapter 12, and I'm going to fold into that also chapter 14. Let me explain. There are three chapters here at this point in 1 Corinthians devoted to the same subject. Disruptions in their assemblies having to do with their misuse of various gifts imparted to them. Now chapter 13 is a part of that. But I want to save my treatment of chapter 13 for a separate lesson next month. And so this morning, I'm concerned with what we can learn from chapter 12 and chapter 14. And I'm going to give this title to our study this morning, Truth for Today in Our Assemblies. Here's a preview. In chapter 14, verse 26, look at that simple phrase. Let all things be done for building up. And then in chapter 14, verse 40, look at that phrase. All things should be done decently and in order. Those instructions and the surrounding context, valuable information for Christians today about what we do, and what our attitude is, and how we conduct ourselves in these worship assemblies. Now, as we begin, I need to say something briefly about these various gifts the people in the church at Corinth were misusing. Let me explain. During the time the apostles of Christ were spreading the gospel, those early years before they had completed epistles and inspired writing documents circulating, during that time, God gave certain miraculous gifts to people to be used with good discipline in their preaching efforts and in their assemblies. That we do not have such miraculous gifts Today is clear to me from 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Prophecies will pass away and tongues will cease. I believe as the full revelation of the apostles was committed to writing, these temporary special gifts were no longer distributed, and therefore today we have the written, all-sufficient Word. And we can explore that on other occasions, 
But I needed to explain the Corinthians were not using these temporary gifts with good maturity, with good discipline. Their assemblies were being disrupted, and Paul is responding to that in these chapters, 12, 13, and 14. While we do not have those miraculous powers today, within these chapters, there is truth for today in our assemblies. And so my task this morning is to make good use of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 as it applies to our assemblies today. Truth for today for our assemblies. And I want to begin here. Unity. Based on what Paul says about the condition of the church at Corinth, I can imagine members with these gifts in competition and conflict. So as this discussion begins, Paul makes something very clear. These gifts <clears throat> that you have temporarily came from the same source. You didn't come up with these. They came from a divine source. And so look at these phrases. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. These gifts are of the Spirit, and they are for the common good. Those with these gifts are empowered by the one and same Spirit. God never intended these special powers to be used in some kind of competitive conflict. From this we learn to have a good worship assembly. Those who participate need to understand that what we have and what we use and what we are instructed to do all came from the same source. We are not here to glory in what we have that's different from another. God has never given something to one of His children for the purpose of competing with or defeating another of His children. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, if you will look at verses 8 through 11 with me, you'll see the very thing I speak of. There were varieties of spiritual gifts imparted to early Christians during that temporary time. But they were not to be used as instruments of boasting or competition. I'm in chapter 12. I'm going to start reading at verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom... And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, 
who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What is the truth for today? We don't come here with miraculous gifts, so how does this apply? Well, we don't come to this place to exalt ourselves above one another, to compete, to provoke conflict, or choose up sides. We come united, serving the same God, under the authority of the same Lord, Jesus Christ, using the word given by the same Holy Spirit. From this we learn, to have a good worship assembly, those who participate need to understand that what we have, what we use, and what we are instructed to do is not something we conceived. It all came from the same divine Source, We come to worship with what God has given us. Grace to be saved, instruction about worship, reverence, gratitude, and therefore we come with one mind, united. And each of us who assemble here bring with us the obligation to maintain that unity. Number two. We function as a body functions. There's a lot of similarity. When one part of your body fights against another part, that never goes well. When the members of the body do not work together or do not respond to signals from the head, that never goes well. I'm going to continue reading now 12 to 31. I'm in 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm reading 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an ear, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, 
giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, third miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. When I obeyed the gospel, when you obeyed the gospel, we were baptized into one body. Christ is the head of that body. Therefore, when my actions are as directed by the head and your actions are as directed by the head, we work together and get along together in harmony. We're members of the same body. We're acting under the authority and control of the same head. Harmony we can bring to these assemblies that provides a good atmosphere suitable for worship. But if one member of the body gets boastful and fights against another member, there is no good outcome for anyone. And even more serious, God is not pleased. In our relationship with Christ and with each other, we function as a body. And only as we function as a body under the head can our assemblies be for the better and not for the worse. Part of this truth for today is something we just read. Care for one another. It is here in verse 25 that the members have the same care for one another. An assembly of Christians first is about God. It's about honoring God as God is directed. In doing that, we must care for one another. And that means I don't assert myself above others. I don't call attention to myself. I'm careful not to distract others in the assembly or to provoke jealousy or to disrupt the assembly or engage in competition with anyone. One ingredient of a healthy assembly is that we care. We care about God and what God has said about worship, and because of that, we come here and we care about one another. What really helps us to keep in mind is the positive purpose of our assemblies. Over in chapter 14 now, as this discussion continues about good order in the assemblies, I want you to consider these important phrases about the purpose of coming together. I want you to look at chapter 14, verse 3. It says, for the purpose of upbuilding and encouragement 
and consolation. That's what all of us need to get when we come here. Or in verse 4, the phrase builds up the church. Or let all things be done for building up. What a good poster or sign that would make to remind us of the positive spiritual purpose for these assemblies. This is like what we studied last month from chapter 11 in that phrase, coming together for the better and not for the worse. The purpose is not just for individuals to say, well, I was there. My body was in that building. The purpose is not for elders and song leaders and preachers to say, well, that's another assembly in the books. Let all things be done for building up. Do you need to be built up? Is there anything that's happened in your life this past week that causes you to think, I need to worship God as God has said so I can be built up because there's another week ahead. I need to be built up. And God has given a way for me and you to have what we need in assemblies where He is the center of our attention for building up. That's a positive spiritual purpose. Everybody ought to have that in mind when they come in the door. Number five. Distinctive, clear teaching must be given in these assemblies. 14.8, 1 Corinthians 14.8. If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Out on the East Coast, there is the Army School of Music, where musician recruits are sent after basic training. Trumpet players have to learn over 25 bugle calls. They have to be right here, ready to retrieve. You have to memorize all those bugle calls. And when you play that sound, it had better be clear. So the troops will know what it means and what their response should be. I didn't have to look this up. I have personal knowledge of this because I was a bugle boy and trumpet player in the army during the Vietnam era. It sometimes happened that the bugler of the day would miss one note and the punishment would be peeling potatoes and washing dishes the rest of the week. Not a very joyous music, musical thing. I missed one note one time in three years and was called in and given a stern lecture from my superior. That's what Paul's talking about. In all that we do in our assemblies, it must be clear and distinct and understandable. I'll give you one example. Do you know why Darrell came up here 
when Victor was leading, singing, and made an adjustment in the PA system so that you can hear the prayers, so that it can be clear and distinct. The teaching and preaching, the singing of spiritual songs, the prayers, God expects clarity, and if it's confusion, it's not going to do you any good, will it? God expects clarity in order for these assemblies to be upbuilding. And then, number six, but all things should be done decently and in order. What a perfect summary statement at the end of chapter 14. Remember, 12, 13, and 14 are about disruptions in the Corinthian assemblies. Truth is given. Rebuke is given. What a marvelous way to end it all, this section. All things should be done decently and in order. I want to say something here about what worship is. I want to ask you to listen very carefully. We're going to talk about worship here for a moment as taught in Scripture. Worshiping God is not like other gatherings. It is not just another event that you attend. When you attend a concert, a sports event, a social event, a pep rally, a picnic, the decorum standards are connected to the type of event. At a pep rally, you are encouraged to yell. There is not an emphasis on order. It's all about emotion and volume and excitement. A picnic is usually characterized by people in groups at a table carrying on conversations and laughter and maybe uh, several people talking at one time. These are common sense observations we make about the various types of events that we attend. Worship is not like those. It is unlike these I've mentioned. I want you to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Who would you listen to on the subject of worship? Who would you listen to and let him define and describe what it's about? We're going to read Jesus talking about worshiping God. I want you to listen and look in your Bible. Jesus didn't say, well, you folks just worship and you just figure out whatever you want that to mean. And anything you decide to do and however you want to change it, that'll be fine. No, here's what he said. I'm in John chapter 4, 23 and 24. God, uh, 23 and 24. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Somebody says, what does that mean? Some of you know what I'm going to say. You get to John 4 and you read 23 and 24 and it says worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? 
Just keep reading. And the rest of the New Testament will tell you what that means. But let's talk to principle now. Principle about worship that's always been true since the beginning. I want you to go this time to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And again, you're going to see that Scripture doesn't portray worship as just another event. There is a decorum peculiar to worship that's always been so in approaching God. It is characterized by reverence and propriety engaged in with such focus. People are not distracted. Their minds are all in one place moving in one direction toward the Father. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they're doing. Uh, they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. What was happening? in the assemblies in Corinth. People talking at the same time. Competition. Jealousy. Women not in submission. Foreign languages without interpretation. Disorder and absence of reverence. They'd messed up the Lord's Supper we've already studied back in chapter 11. So what an absolutely perfect way for the inspired apostle to conclude this section. All things should be done decently and in order. We need to take this seriously. Right here. And in any occasion where worship is the purpose. Well, we haven't studied every verse in 1 Corinthians 12 or 14, but I think we've captured the essence of what this needs to mean to Christians today. In our world today, in the popular relig religious community, the word worship has come to mean an entertaining event for those attending. And some people go to these places and want it to be more exciting every time they go. They want it to be more exciting for them. It's not about them, not about us, not about you. It's about God. People want worship assemblies to be like other events. But that's not the way worship assemblies are described in the Bible. I tell you, what people want has never been central to the definition of worship. Not in the Bible. We must let God define it. We must let Him tell us what He wants. And we must apply the guidelines set forth in Scripture to make certain that we are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. That's what we want to do here. Worship holds great value for us when we become engaged <clears throat> in keeping 
with what God has said. Let's be standing while we sing.